our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege, this gift called today, that we're able to gather together as family. Father, in a unity that you've provided from eternity past, something that we're able to just rejoice in, to relish, to never become familiar with. Father, what a grace gift this is. Uh, Father, we also just pray for your Spirit's guidance on the goings-on, the, the practical side of this evening's message, uh, as you always do. Father, we're so grateful and thankful for your, your love and your unerring support and faithfulness in this endeavor that we each find ourselves on, this thing called life. Father, we pray for those that can't be with us due to illness or injury, and we pray for those that are still lost in this world. Most of all, we are grateful for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make an evening like this a reality for each one of us to rejoice in as well as a congregation. We just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the Lord is our confidence, part 55. We begin on Sunday with a passage that our dear friend Joshua Mokua from Africa was inspired to share. Uh, let's go there quickly. Go to Job 36, verse 10. Job 36, verse 10. So much uh, of our series has been focused on obedience as of late. And the fruit of obedience, the fact that obedience is a good thing, that commands are given as blessings, as we'll continue to see this evening. And so Joshua Mokua, uh, who uh, pastors down in um, Africa, he, uh, he sent this our way. Job 36, verse 10. He opens their ears to instruction he, and commands that they return from iniquity. If they listen and serve him, they complete their days in prosperity and their years in pleasantness. But if they do not listen, they perish by the sword and die without knowledge. Again, if they listen and serve, they complete their days in prosperity, their years in pleasantness. But if they do not listen, they perish by the sword and die without knowledge. As we look back on 2019, I think we ought to be encouraged, courtesy of God the Holy Spirit, of course. I think it's righteous to say to each other, a la Romans 1.12, be encouraged. We should be saying that to each other. Be encouraged up here on the board. Romans 1.12 reads this way, <clears throat> that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I think, at, how about just face value? How about the fact that you're all here this evening? That I joked earlier, you know, I'm surprised to see so many. But all joking aside, you're here. And that, to me, speaks volumes to your faith. And I'm here. And that should speak volumes to you about my faith. And that's the collective. That's the beauty of doing what we're doing right now. If nothing else, we're both here, right? And as far as I know, everybody that I'm looking at is here for the right reason. I don't want you to be here for me. I don't want you to be here for the person to the left or the right, strictly speaking. I want you to be here for Christ. I want you to be here for the truth. 
That's what matters most. And I think we're encouraged by that, knowing that we each showed up for that very reason. And so sort of like an ancillary fruit, if you would, or a, a byproduct of, of showing up for Christ is that we're encouraged by each other's faith. And that's what Romans 1.12 actually says. So it's fair to say and it's righteous to say to one another, be encouraged. I think the fact that you're all here this evening is a testimony to God's grace. Some of you had some pretty challenging times this year. Some of you have endured some pretty drastic changes in your lives. People dying. It's always tough. Loved ones dying. How about babies being conceived? Big changes. How about schools being graduated from? And new ones entered? New jobs, even? Uh, maybe retirement circumstances, even, et cetera, et cetera. The, light, the list goes on and on. I mean, there's been some big changes just in a, a small church like this one. As my mom used to tell me as a kid, you know, with all those changes and the difficulties and what have you, no one ever said life was supposed to be easy. I think that's one of the great lies that um, hurts people because you end up with a bunch of failed expectations. When does it get easy? And you just live your life thinking you're doing something wrong because it never gets easy. And the more responsibility you take on, it seems there are more challenges. And as you grow up, there are more challenges. And that's perfectly fine. That's the way it's always been. That's what it means to grow up. You take on more responsibility. So no one ever said that life was supposed to be easy. And, you know, she was right in saying that. It really isn't supposed to be easy. Relatively speaking, the yoke that Jesus offers is much easier in the burden of plowing God's field is easier instead of the world's version of each. These things are much less of a burden, but he still says, take my yoke, which implies labor, which implies you're going, you're, he's got you headed down the path to plow a field. And if you've ever worked a farm job, you know that that's hard work. It's a heck of a lot easier if you're yoked with someone that is compatible than incompatible. That's the other side of the equation. But nonetheless, it's work. And no one ever said that it was going to be easy. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that being a believer in Christ is going to be easy overall. It doesn't mean we are to put ourselves on a religious treadmill like so many do. You know, where, okay, well, if it's not going to be easy, then I'm going to make it hard, and I'm going to become religious about things. I'm just going to make it my purpose in life to get up first in the morning, just do, 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 do. That's not the case either. We're not supposed to make a religion out of it. As we've noted so many times in the past decade, the life we've, we've been called to lead in Christ is anything but easy by fleshly standards. Again, given the new year, we all need to hear a little encouragement from time to time regarding life itself. And that's the point on the board, Romans 1.12, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So don't be afraid to, to relish the fact that we're all here this evening as a family. It's a good thing. Just showing up 
We're still all in one piece. We still are marching to the beat of the same drum. I want, to, I want you to sit back and allow me to be that source of encouragement for you, or more precisely, allow me to be your guide for a moment through some Holy Scripture. Go to Psalm 55:22. Limber up your fingers. Psalm 55:22. We're going to go to a lot of Scripture this evening. I love it when he does this. Love it, love it. Just some encouragement. Things to be encouraged by. How about that? Psalm 55, 22. <clears throat> Cast your burden on the Lord. What's your burden? I don't know. Could be any one of those things that I listed earlier. Could be something else. Take it and cast it on Him. And He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. The righteous. Remember we also saw in Job, if you don't listen, well, the promises sort of evaporate, don't they? If you do listen, the righteous aren't to be moved. He will not permit the righteous to be moved. How about Psalm 145, 14? Psalm 145, 14. Psalm 145, 14. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The humble, right? The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The one who humbly submits, in other words. How about Matthew eleven twenty eight? Matthew eleven twenty eight. Go there. Matthew eleven twenty eight. <clears throat> Matthew eleven twenty eight reads Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. There, I just mentioned that. doesn't mean you go without a yoke. It just says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Again, those are relative statements. Still have a yoke. How about John 16.33? Go there. John 16.33. This should all be very encouraging. John 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Is there any doubt? No. He says straight up, in the world you will have tribulation. No one ever said life was easy. We're in a world that we're probably, I can't, I don't know the number, but God does. We're vastly outnumbered. Jesus said the, the way is narrow that leads to life. So the implication is that there's a lot more of people from the world than there are of us, believers. In the world, you'll have tribulation. Well, what do you think that, how do you think that pans out when you're one of the few? But take heart. I have overcome the world. How about Hebrews 12.1? Hebrews 12.1. You must believe that if you're here this evening. You must believe that he has overcome 
Hebrews 12, 1. Again, be encouraged. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners in such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now, why would, he have to write, why would the Holy Spirit have to inspire that? If you're getting beat up, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The implication is that that's what you're up against, that life isn't necessarily easy. And if you believe that, it's a lie, especially as a Christian. He said, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. This is the way it is, right? How about uh, 2 Timothy 3.12? And once you, once you accept that as your lot, 2 Timothy 3.12, once you accept that as your lot, you're way better off in life. Because your expectations are appropriate. You're not wondering why life's not easy. You're not looking over at the Joneses across the fence line and saying, what the heck? They don't, they're not even believers and they look like they're having a gay old time. They're doing everything the world does. And look at them, they're being, they're being prospered. Does that not sound like, uh, read uh, Proverbs, read uh, Psalms. Does that not sound like the wisdom books, people complaining about people prospering? Why do the wicked prosper? That's that bad thinking, right, that gets into it. It's, it's insidious, right? It, 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 it's like it grows roots. And the next thing you know, now all of a sudden, you went from being perfectly, legitimately happy to jealous of an unbeliever. What? Perfect, legitimate happiness to jealousy of an unbeliever? Does that make any sense? Not at all, but we do it. 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not maybe, not sort of, will be. You will be persecuted, so accept it. And when you accept that, you'll be better off for it. That's the beauty of it. Because now you're up for a fight. Do you know what I'm getting at? There's nothing worse than walking into a, what you think is a friendly party and someone squashes your nose. Right? Someone punches you right in the face and you're not ready for it. At least you can put up your arms. At least you can put on the full armor of God and be prepared. How about that? Being prepared is, is half the battle. Again, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How about John 15, 18? John 15, 18. I hope this is all encouraging. It should be. Because some of you are going through this right now. Some of you do know actual Joneses. And they're jerks. And they, <laughs> and they taunt you. And they flaunt their prosperity in front of you. And say, don't you wish, you know, I don't know what you're thinking, but I don't even believe in Christ. And look at all, look at my stuff. Look at my life. Look at how I'm living. Who's the fool? And you buy it. Because you're weak. John 15, 18. By the way, that's hatred. People who do that, that's, that's actually what hatred looks like, not love. If the world hates you, there you go, 
now that it has hated, uh, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Just know that, that it hated Christ before it hated you. How about 1 Peter 4.12? Go there. 1 Peter 4.12. 1 Peter 4.12. I think for, for many of us, for me as well, uh, the holiday season in many ways is, is like an unwanted injection of the world into my soul. Because I'm forced to be around people that I necessarily wouldn't be around. Tried to have good, you know, godly talks about the gospel with them. They don't want to hear it. Now it's at this juncture, it's pearls before swine. It's, it's rough. It's difficult. Um, but this is encouraging because this is what we, we should expect. First Peter 4.12 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Why? Don't be surprised. You can't be, oh, how is this happening? What do you mean, how is it happening? It's literally what Jesus said would happen. Your friends, your family, they will turn on you quicker than you can say boo. The only real friends you have in this world after Christ are the ones who are in Christ. Everybody else is out there for themselves. They have no notion whatsoever of living for Christ. It's all about creature credit because they're literally what the Bible calls in the flesh. That's all they know. You, they may look like they, they look a lot, they, you know, they have a, uh, uh, a familiar morality. And you say, well, but they're a nice person. And you might be totally right. They might actually be a, quote, nice person. But at the end of the day, they are still in the flesh. Don't ever forget that. They are still in the flesh. And that's all they have. That's very different. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. See that? Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. How about 2 Corinthians 12.10? Go there. 2 Corinthians 12.10. I hope you loved it. I love this so much. Just Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. Not because it makes my job easy, it really does in, in many ways, but just because it's so edifying. You're just reading Holy Scripture, it's beautiful. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Enough said. How about Luke 6.22? Luke 6.22 I purposely didn't order these either. Normally I go through the pain of ordering them for you, You're like, but I purposely did it just to make you go back and forth, just to see John Gardner look up at me just now and give me a funny look. <laughs> he literally just looked up and he's like, <laughs> that's right, John. I want you to feel that. It's beautiful, right? Isn't that awesome? Like, Isn't that a beautiful thing just to, oh, yeah, right? I don't know. Awesome. There's the sound of it. Luke 6.22. Blessed are you when people hate you. Wait a minute. Scratching record, right? Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Oh, that is awesome. Totally backwards. 
from what the world would expect. But for us, it's salvation. How about Matthew 5.10? Matthew 5.10. It's the perspective we need to cling to. Do not expect to get your uh, good feelings from man. Don't, don't let him trap you like that. Matthew 5.10 Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then how about 1 Peter 3.14, last one for now. 1 Peter 3.14. This is just lovely, really. It's awesome. So encouraging. 1 Peter 3.14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. You don't have to lose your cool, in other words. You're going to be, you're going to suffer. You will be persecuted, but don't lose your cool. Give them, Scott and I were talking about this before class. It's not about you. As soon as you make it about you, you get drawn into that fight. It's about you now. It's a personal thing. You've lost. You make sure you don't get dragged into the fight personally. You always deflect to the word. Say, I, I know what you're doing. I know you'd prefer because that's all they know, just like I talked about. All they have is their flesh. The only thing they want to tangle with is your flesh. And so they incite your flesh to get into, you know, drop the hockey gloves. You avoid that altogether. You elevate and you say, nope, this is what the Bible says. If you don't believe the Bible, well, that's between you and the Lord. But that's the end of the conversation for me because this is where my faith rests. I rest in the truth that I believe is the word of God. End of story. You want to argue about it? Here's my Bible. You can even borrow it. You can read it all for yourself. Wink, wink, right? Because now they're reading the Bible. They're saying. And it's the word of God. Faith comes from hearing. Right? So that's the little thing that we can do. We can say, I'm not, I'm not going to do that with you. I'm not going to lose my cool. I'm going to give you Holy Scripture, and then, I'm going to, then I'm, that's going to be the end of the story. If you listen, I'll give you more. If you don't want to listen, then... I'm not going to force it on you because God the Holy Spirit is a much better evangelist than I am. Right? As soon as you make it about you, you lose. Remember that. It cannot be about you. Even in the that's what Scott and I were talking about. Even in the positive sense. Even if you think, but you know, they're they they they're going to be saved because they it's me. No, it's not you. The only thing that's ever saved anybody is the word. The only person who's ever saved anyone, the only one who's ever empowered it is God the Holy Spirit. We are merely waiters. And if someone slaps the food off the tray, what are we going to do? Okay, now it's on the floor. I'm going to go somewhere else then. Try to serve it up somewhere else. But don't let them get you involved personally that way. And this is, you know, I'm looking at, you know, how the Spirit's bringing, kicking off the new year, right? It's a fantastic way to kick off a new year of messages courtesy of God the Holy Spirit. Amen? Again, here's the instigating thought up here on the board. Uh, it's still up there, Romans 1.12. 
that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. One other component of this encouragement uh, is that it isn't just about understanding our condition, but also what the Bible has to say about the condition of the churches today. That we aren't so very different than the churches of old, really. So this came up on Sunday as well. History tends to repeat itself. This is a, a truth, I think. It's fair. Uh, for the sake of context, we looked at the church at Sardis. It had a lifeless profession. It enjoyed a reputation, but it wasn't genuine. Rather, it was religious like so many churches today are. Many churches are deemed, quote, acceptable because they look the part, but they are lacking the supernatural substance. Go to Revelation 3, verse 1. We'll review this quickly. So the Spirit also brought this up, that this is a, an institution-wide institution uh, disease, right? That there are systems in place propagated by the kingdom of darkness that lead people away from truth, that lie to them, systematically even. Uh, Revelation 3.1, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard, Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels, he who has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. And it was on this topic, we pivoted on this idea, let him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. And it's on the coattails of this encouragement that we're being given, even this evening. The Spirit brought out the concept of a higher calling to the forefront of Sunday's message. A higher calling. And I think we all need to take pause on that. It's a new year. I'm not big on it. I, I think it's almost arbitrary. Um, but it's not a bad way to take advantage of, you know, the time off we're given from worldly institutions to just take a pause. That we have a higher calling. And when he did that on Sunday, anyways, he used parenting as an example for us to consider that good parenting requires sacrifice, that's part of a higher calling, and that a parent who truly loves the Lord will do whatever they can for their children's welfare, beginning with spiritual preparation. Any departure from that needs to be closely scrutinized. However, parenting is only one specific area where this kind of introspection is required. We're all, we're all part of a higher calling. We're all called to a higher uh, calling, right? The truth is that we have been called to a higher calling, a call that has echoed throughout eternity past when God elected us before human history even began. We were called 
That's a lofty thing to ponder, but it is nonetheless absolute truth from the Word of God. The truth is, and this may be supremely encouraging to all of us this day, the truth is that we have been called to glory by the God of all glory Himself. We have been anointed as children of His royal family. Remember that. He's royalty. And we're members of His family. We've been adopted into that family. And you know what? This may sound religious to a lesser group of people, but we're to act the part. I know, oh, when are you getting all religious? No, I'm not getting religious. We're, we're the children of God. We're supposed to behave ourselves. You ever see like two families enter into like a movie theater, right? The, the family has it together. The kids are polite. They sit there. They watch the movie. The other kids are making crazy noises, throwing stuff, and on their, they're just jerks, right? We're supposed to act the part. We're supposed to be part of that family, the family that's well-behaved, the family that's, the family that's obedient, right? The family that's not making everybody else in the theater stumble because we're a bunch of jackasses. That family. I know that sounds, you know, scary for some people, but that's the family. We're supposed to act the part. Allow me once again to guide you through some Holy Scripture for the sake of encouragement. Go to Ephesians 4. Verse 1, Ephesians 4.1. So on that note of act the part, we're supposed to act the part. We want to act the part. We don't want to dishonor or discredit the name of the one that gave us our name, Christian. We don't want to dishonor or discredit Jesus Christ. This is the higher calling. You've been elected, you've been called to this thing. Ephesians 4.1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, what? To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Can't you almost, you know, in that analogy with the movie theater, you can kind of imagine a, 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 the mom saying, hey, I want you to act like you're a member of this family. I, I don't want you to embarrass our family. I want you to act the part. I want you to be a member of our, I want you to represent our family like obedient children, and bring glory to your Father and I. That's what I see there. That's God the Holy Spirit saying, hey, why don't you bring glory to the Father and the Son? How about that? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You remember the family, right? You like that part of it. Well, then walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. How about uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 12? 1 Thessalonians 2. I mean, that should be enough, right? That, that could be enough. We don't, the Bible doesn't say we have to have even more than one Scripture to make a point. But it's funny because we have a lot of scripture on this very point about acting the part. Being a member uh, in the implications of being a member of God's family. And to me it's very encouraging. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 12. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you 
to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. How about Romans 8.28? Go there. Romans 8.28. I think most people focus on the first half of this verse and maybe don't pay attention to the second half. This evening we're going to focus on the second half. Romans 8.28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Huh. He didn't just call you and say, I'll see you in heaven. He has a purpose for you here on earth. And it's not to dishonor him. It's not to discredit the name of his son. He has a real purpose for you. That, to me, is very encouraging. I love that he's given me purpose. Because what else would my purpose be? If, there's, if I'm left with a vacuum, the world fills it. Right? Some of you, some of you keep a vacuum open and let the world fill it, even though you've been given truth. But that's another story. But for those of who are called according to his purpose. How about Romans 11.29? Romans 11.29. Romans 11.29. Will God ever lay off? Nope. (laughs) Romans 11.29. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So you've been called, and that's it. End of the story. You've been called. He doesn't give up on you. And he's going to keep, his spirit's going to keep nagging you and saying, hey, what do you think about the Joneses? What do you think about your life right now? What do you think about the decisions you're making or about to make right now? Are they bringing glory to me? Or are they somehow preserving some part of your flesh? What do you think about this? And he's never going to let you go. And if you make the bad choice, he's going to remind you as a believer. Hey, you remember what I told you? You're suffering now because of it. The calling of God, irrevocable. 2 Peter 1.10. Go there, 2 Peter 1.10. These are all very practical verses, the verses that we can't really slip out of, right? Can't find too many loopholes. Not when there's this many, by the way. 2 Peter 1.10. But we're not trying to do that. I think that's the, that's the angle into Scripture this evening. We're not trying to do that. We're just trying to be encouraged by it. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. How about 1 Corinthians 1.26? 1 Corinthians 1.26, go there. First Corinthians one twenty six. <clears throat> For consider your calling. Okay, so let's Paul says, let's put this on the table. Okay? You've been called, you know you've been called. I've taught you you've been called, just like you're getting taught this evening. You've been called, just accept it. You have a calling, it's irrevocable, done. Okay? So consider that thing, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. The strong are the Joneses next door. They're the ones with the prosperity that you look to and say, why are they so strong in this world? Why are they, give, why are they giving? Why is everybody looking at them? Why is everybody looking up to them? Why are they the ones heralded? Why are they the ones held up? When I'm over here living this lesser, quote-unquote, by world standards, lesser life. Oh, it just says it right there. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. How about John 15, 16? John 15, verse 16. Told you a lot of scripture, huh? Ooh, that's awesome. John 15, 16. <clears throat> you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you, that you should go and bear fruit. That's walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, that you bear fruit. Right? How about 2 Thessalonians 1.11? 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 11. We don't go this alone. We can't get religious. We know that God is with us. We know that we can't do any of this without the power of God, the Holy Spirit. So we can't become religious. This is what 2 Thessalonians sort of alludes to. Second <clears throat> Thessalonians 1.11 To this end we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of His calling. That's called grace. Right? We're not supposed to get religious. We're not supposed to take that yoke on ourselves. We're yoked in with Jesus Christ, specifically. God the Holy Spirit is right there to empower all this. Our job is to show up and remain humble. That's a big enough hurdle as it is for most of you. Right? That our God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every good work of faith by His power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him, according to the grace of our God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just a friendly reminder that we do not do this alone. Again, all of that was to substantiate that we act the part. That we act the part. We've been elected, we've been called, we have a higher calling. We need to act the part. And it's not just about being religious. It's about bringing glory to God. But it's be even beyond that, at a personal level, like we just read. We receive something. We receive the fruit of the Spirit when we act the part. We're not left void. They're an incredible blessing given to us if we just act the part. I hope you all see what the Spirit's presenting to us this evening. We noted a sort of capstone passage on Sunday worth revisiting. Go to Ephesians 5, verse 1. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Ephesians 5, verse 1. <clears throat> Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant 
offering and sacrifice to God, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. You see? Act the part. It's proper among saints that those things are absent. <laughs> right? Do I really want to see a group of kids come in on this side with their parents and another group of kids come on this side? And this kids, these kids are watching a movie, and these kids are all but 12 and 13-year-olds talking about sexual acts or looking at nudie pictures or something on their phones while I'm trying to watch a movie or just being disgusting altogether. Do, which, which one is acting? Which one is proper? Is that fair? That's all he's saying. I mean, it's not rocket science. He's just saying this one's proper and this one's not. Don't do that. Don't be these kids. You're my children. Don't be these kids. Don't be the embarrassment of the world. You're supposed to be standing up for a higher calling. Let there, look, he continues, verse 4, in case there's any questions. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you, may, you, you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. That's you joining up with your next-door neighbors called the Joneses, right? Because you got weak and you fell and you coveted what they had. And next thing you know, you give up your good standing in Christ, you cross the aisle, and now you're over here with the Joneses acting like a jackass. You're acting like one of those kids. The sons of disobedience, in other words. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That was my point about 15 minutes ago. Is what you're doing pleasing to the Lord? Or is it something to do with you? Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Act the part. That's, this is the same thing I've been saying for 15 minutes now. You've been called. You're a high, you're, you've been called to a higher purpose. Look carefully, then, how you're walking. Not as unwise, but as wise. And here's the capstone statement, verse 16. Making the best of the time, because the days are evil. It was this last statement that the Spirit used uh, to put said capstone in place on Sunday. Really, we can boil it all down to two words. All in. All in. Make the best use of the time, because the days are evil. The only way that becomes a reality in our lives is if we're all in. That's it. We commit. We don't... We shed the habits, the bad habits. The ones that we see good people in the wisdom books sharing with us. Why do the wicked prosper? You know, we get weak. We look to our left and we look to our right. And I'm not saying I don't do the same thing sometimes. Like, man, these people are vile. And they seem to be having a gay old time, you know. 
I'm just saying, you get spun up in it, right? You get kind of, eh, you know, not disheartened, but, you know, it's a little irritating sometimes, right? Is that fair? Am I the only jackass? Right? I'm not saying I do it all the time. I'm just saying it happens. We get weak. Thank you, Lois. <laughs> Lois is like, that guy next door has the best Kubota, and I have this old one that Bill left me with, you know, and it's backfiring. I don't know. His is a hydrostatic, mine's a standard. I don't know. He's got all the fancy bells and whistles. <laughs> all in. Nothing less is desired from our Father in heaven. Years ago, the Pavias gave me a CD by the Christian band Stella Cart, and they pointed me to the song on the album titled All In. And tonight's message, as I was writing the message, it made me think of the, the actual song. So I'm giving you some of the words. It's easier to be the crowd, to just fit in and not stand out at all, to make a case for apathy and never risk a thing in case you fall. And this is life, and we all decide. The stand we take, and this is mine. That I am not ashamed, won't walk away, not trying to disguise or ever hide the reason that I chose or I choose to be a fool for the one who saved my life I won't apologize. It's hard to walk a narrow road and know that you might be the only one. To go where no one else will go, pressing on until the race is run. And this is life, and we all decide. The choice is ours, and this is mine. And then there's sort of a chorus, as for me, I'm all in. As for me, I am all in, all in. And then the chorus comes back around. That I am not ashamed, won't walk away, not trying to disguise or ever hide. The reason that I choose to be a fool, for the one who saved my life, I won't apologize. What a wonderful um, song. Um, and it really did make me think of this evening's message. But doesn't that just sound, to me, if you were to distill all that down, that song, it reminds me of verse 16. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. All in. And don't apologize for being all in. You're going to get persecuted. You go all in, you're going to look funny. Right? If, 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 when you take a well-behaved uh, uh, well family to a movie theater, they're well-behaved. They're the oddballs. They're the oddballs. You now become the pariah, right? And not only that, but you attract the, uh, the, the um, I don't want to call it jealousy, but the animosity of other parents. Oh, I bet, you know, all of a sudden the other parents, oh, look at them. I bet you they just think they're all that. <laughs> they're little kids and their little bows and the little, <laughs> I'm spitting on myself, <laughs> right? You know how it is. And all of a sudden you're, you're like saying, well, I just showed up to watch a movie. My kids are well-behaved. Sorry, right? <laughs> And then, did you see the car they drove up? Oh, they probably all. <laughs> and you get attacked, and you're like, well, I didn't do anything. All, I'm just all in. I'm trying to, like, you know. You, you will be mauled if you live for Christ. Go to Romans 1.16. Romans 1.16.
But here's the thing, and this came up in that song. Romans 1.16. This is, this, this is the two verses, by the way, that literally started the Reformation, that blew the mind of Martin Luther. Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Can you say that honestly? Where is there any notion in you that's ashamed of it? I can't honestly say, I, I, without even apology, without shame, that I have been ashamed of the gospel. You might say, how could that possibly be? What do you mean, how could that possibly be? Then why do I not evangelize everybody I see? Why do I not have the courage to do this or that? Why do I not stand up for Christ every possible moment of every possible day? Why am I so proud that I can't do that thing? Why can't I lose reputation points and do that thing every possible chance of every moment of every day? Because somewhere in me I'm ashamed to be the odd man out. That you know, I got ingrained as a kid. If you're not popular, then there's something wrong with you. So what did I do? I became the most popular kid in all of school. Right? What did it buy me? Nothing. Pain, suffering. Bought into a system that I've been backpedaling out since I was a kid. Why? There it is. That's why it's a mind blow. But Paul wrote it for, you know, for our sake. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Before we close, just some big picture stuff. We are commanded to believe in the gospel call. After we're saved, we are commanded to obey the word of God. Once we have divine perspective on all of this, we realize this. And, and, and it's okay to picture that little family in the movie theater doing it right, you know, acting the way they ought to, following the commands of God, bringing glory to God. Here's what we learned. Commandments are actually blessings. We are blessed by keeping our part. We ought to be encouraged by that. That's how the Spirit wants to start the new year. Be encouraged that you're the oddball in this world. Be encouraged that you're going to suffer for Jesus' sake. Be encouraged that you have the opportunity to bring glory to God, regardless of how. That it's not going to be easy, like, like false teachers will tell you. It's not going to be you know, easy peasy and roses and dimples, like, you know, like everybody wants it to be, and all these so-called encouraging ministries, that's all they teach. Oh, just, you know, everything's, oh, la, 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 la. Uh, oh, you start, it's not, oh, I was drowning that out with a little more music, right? I don't know, it's not making sense. Right? Well, we've got to get a better teacher up here. We've got to get a more magnetic personality, a better orator. We, gotta, we always hold, Scott and I were talking about that before class, too. We always hold people up, right? Because they're, what, good speakers? Because why? They have personalities? Why should that matter? And this is what I was telling Scott. Especially as a missionary, right? He's talking about maybe going overseas again, this kind of thing. Like, you're not supposed to be the draw. You are not supposed to be the draw. 
The drawer is the Word of God. And unless you're bringing the Word of God to somewhere new, then you might think about that situation and say, well, what am I doing then? Is this about me? Do I think I'm so magnificent that me, I'm going to evangelize more people? Or is it actually what the Bible says, the Word of God? It's the Word of God that changes people's hearts. Not human beings, but we love to hold it up, right? We love to hold it up. And in holding it up in those great areas, things fall off the sides like this. It doesn't seem to make it to pulpits anymore. They don't, nobody wants to talk about the, the judgment of God. Nobody wants to talk about the commandments of God. Nobody wants to talk about the blessings that come with following commandments of acting the part, following the command to, to follow your calling to be worthy or be worthy of the calling to bring glory to God. Nobody wants to teach that anymore. It seems like, uh, what, it's unpopular? I'd rather, I'd rather listen to a, a, a Les Paul, if you know there's a guitar, right? I'd, I'd rather listen to a Stratocaster, right? <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? It's a joke. This is what you need to know. Commandments are actually blessings. When's the last time you heard an unbeliever say that? Just for starters. We'll start with funnel. When's the last time you heard an unbeliever say that? Or more specifically, a bratty kid. Or even more specifically, a so-called Christian. When's the last time you've ever heard that? Have you ever heard it? And yet we read... In the Holy Bible, go to 1 John 5, 3, and then I've got to pick a spot to close here. Yep. 1 John 5, 3. You don't hear that. That's the point. Because it's not popular. It doesn't resonate with the human flesh. 1 John 5, 3. But be encouraged. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Again, point on the board, commandments are actually blessings. In other words, another point here, and his commandments are not burdensome. Up here on the board, we love our Lord so much that obedience becomes a privilege, not a chore. And then on Sunday, I'll give you one last point. Actually, two points. The Spirit got very practical with us on this topic, and he used a previous conclusion to make his point. Obedience is the key to sanctification. That's what Paul taught. Obedience is the key to sanctification. And if we apply that in a practical sense, here's where we end up, and this is where I'll close. When we're obedient, we're confident. Anyone or anything that incites us to disobedience ought to be categorically thrown out of our lives. That's what the Spirit's encouraging you to do. If that means you don't associate anymore with the Joneses because you're too weak, you're certainly not trying to evangelize them, you're just trying to measure up. If that's the case, then you need to stop associating with them. You need to cut them out of your life until you maybe are strong enough to go back and try to do something useful like evangelize them. Or maybe it's uh, family members that are just... Uh, disgusting. 
and they have no real, um, real purpose in your life, practically speaking, than to drag you away from the truth, to drag you down from the things that God's calling you to do. Could be family. Could be friends. Could be people that you've associated with your entire life. And then, of course, as the Spirit said, make sure it's not you. There's always two sides, right? We always like to point, yeah, they're trying to get me to do bad stuff, right? They're trying to get me. Maybe it's you. It's worth thinking about. Just saying, right? We're not all, you know, victims. Sometimes we're predators, right? Everybody's like, no. John's like, no, no, no. First the thing with the Bible verses, now this. I'm not accepting. <laughs> it's true. Sometimes we're victims. We love to play the victim game. Everybody's out to get us. Bunch of monsters. Sometimes we're the monsters. Is that fair to say? Right? Amen? DJ, we're the only ones. A couple others. Anyways. All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege to study your word, to set the, the record straight. Father, thank you for always shooting straight with us and making things so very clear inescapable even. Thank you for your commandments. We know that you love us and that's why you give them to us so we can walk a direct path to you and to your blessings. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned back to our homes and the privacy of our own souls but also in our families and then out to a world that's just decaying. Father, we ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit we do pray. Amen. Thank you.